passing the buck. It's reaching epidemic proportions in the church today. Here's Pastor Al Pittman. And today, now it's more of a kind of an apathy, kickback kind of attitude. Like, ah, let the younger generation do it. Younger generation saying, ah, let the old people do it. And there's not an urgency in our heart that the Lord is coming soon. This is why we must preach the gospel. This is why we must share the gospel with every creature. This is why we're going to the east side, and we'll go to the southeast side. We'll go to Woodland Park. We'll go up north, wherever God wants to spread this ministry so that the gospel, the word of God, can go forth. Because the hour is late. We must be about our Father's business. Dwelling place. On behalf of Calvary Worship Center in Colorado Springs, welcome once again to The Dwelling Place with Pastor Al Pittman as we return to our study of James. Our focus today continues to be what Pastor Al calls the entourage of arrogance. What is mankind's biggest problem when it comes to a relationship with God? It's pretty simple. We don't think we need a God. Who knows better what's best for me than me? That attitude is a recipe for disaster. And Pastor Al will share the reasons why today as we continue in James chapters 4 and 5. There are three specific aspects of God's wisdom that get ignored when arrogance takes control of a life. Here's Pastor Al with the details. The old song said, Mama told me there'd be days like this. There'd be days like this, my mama said. And Jesus told us there would be days like this. John chapter 16, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Where is my peace come from? In my circumstances? No, in me. In me you may have peace. Why? Because in the world you will have tribulation. But behold, I have overcome the world. My friend, that is true Christianity right there. That's not sneeze it and believe it. Does not speak it into existence. That is not every, God just wants me to have a party all the time. No, that's reality. In the world, you have tribulation, but in me, you will have peace. Why? Because I, Jesus said, have overcome the world. Amen. And even though we go through the valley of the shadow of death, his rod and his staff, they comfort us. He never abandons us, and he brings us out on the other side. And David said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely, goodness and mercy is following me, even when I'm going through tough times. Now, even in that that valley of the shadow of death, God, you are still sovereign over it all. And I will trust you. Job said it well when he said, yet though he may slay me, I will serve him. My friend, that's the kind of faith that will get you through those times when tragedy strikes. Times that are unexpected, believing that Jesus Christ is sovereign over it all. We may not know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. That's why we're able to go on. Recognition of God's sovereignty in every area of my life. It's why David 
declared this in Psalm 42, verse 11. It's not on the screen, but listen to the words of David. And in Psalm 42, man, it was, it's a beautiful psalm. And at the end of that psalm, he's, he says it twice in the psalm, but here at the end he says this. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. You know what that says? Even though I may be downcast, I shall yet praise him. Devil, I might be down, but I'm not out. God has never finished with me, amen? And I shall still praise him, even though I don't feel like I got a praise on my mouth today, because he is the help of my countenance of my life, and he is my God. And so James says here in verse 15, listen, here's the attitude we ought to have. Not this boasting and arrogant boasting, oh, we're going to do this tomorrow. We're going to go here and we're going to live in Maui and we're going to, you know, really? Nothing wrong with making your plans, but keep this in mind, verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Amen. If the Lord wills. We trust the Lord in your will. And then he adds this warning in verse 16. He says, and, and now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. And he says, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. The, who, the person who boasts in themselves, and they know that it's wrong to boast in themselves, he said, to you it's sin. But not just, he's not just talking and warning them against boasting in yourself, but he's, he's saying, if you know to do good and you don't do it, it is evil to you. And he's talking about all the instruction he's been giving from chapter one up until this very point. If you know to do good and you don't do it, it is evil. In other words, we are accountable for what we know. And I know sometimes people, you hear a message, you hear a sermon, you read the Bible and all, God's going to hold us accountable for what we know. And that's not to scare anybody or whatever. It's just to say, you know what? We can't just say, you know, we can't feign ignorance. We're accountable for what we know. Arrogance ignores this warning, ignores the warning of God and trust rather in itself, which is always detrimental. Now, the last area that arrogance ignores in relationship to God is God's provision. Now we go to chapter 5. In chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, James really gives it to the rich. <laughs> now, there's obviously, I'm sure, some rich people in the church at that time, the rich people in the church today. And not that he has this thing against the rich, but he's really speaking out against the rich that are out in the world, the wicked who are taking advantage of people, who are cheating people out of their wages and treating them in an inequitable way. And, and so this is who, what he's, he, he's addressing here. And we can, we can tell by the tone of his writing here that he's talking to those who are putting their trust, not in the provision of God, but in their own riches, their own provision. And so we read here at verse 1 of chapter 5, he says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. He said, Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure. In the last days, indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, who are working for you, 
which you kept back by fraud, cry out. It is amazing. God understands and he hears the injustice of the rich who are lording over the, the, those who are less fortunate and taking advantage of them. Lord hears their cries. He sees the inequity, if you will, of, of the wages and all of that. And he says it cries out to the Lord and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have, verse 5, you have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. So you're, you're getting fat, but you're fattening yourself up for, for judgment, for slaughter. It says in verse 6, you have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Those, there was no, you know, uh, equal employment opportunity office or rights, employee rights or anything like that at this day. And men were doing what men do naturally, and that is to take advantage of one another. They're holding back wages from people when they should have paid them a fair wage. And God saw all of it. So James rebukes the rich for trusting in their worldly riches rather than in the living God. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 19, verse 24. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why is that? Because rich people believe that their money gains them access, and some naively believe that it gains them access into heaven. If I can write a big check to the church, oh, God is pleased with me. God cannot be bought, and he is no respecter of persons. And he cannot be bought. He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get in heaven. Not that a rich man can't get into heaven, but it's easy, it's hard for them. Why? Because they're used to relying upon their own riches to gain them access. When we were in the Middle East, this eye of the needle, what is the eye of the needle? And I think of a sewing needle. I think well, pff, nobody can get into heaven. <laughs> but he's not talking about a sewing needle. And it depends on which commentator you read, and you may have people differ. But I, I read this once about the eye of the needle, and then actually went to Israel and saw an example of it, that the eye of the needle was an inner door. Eye of the needle being that you go to, to uh, in the Middle East, some of these the rich homes would have courtyard areas where you open this huge door and camels could come through, this huge opening. But in this huge door, there would be a smaller door that they would use to sometimes let people in. They also had that door available for if people were trying to break in, they wouldn't open the huge door. They would open that small door and they'd try to break into your house, right? But so it, 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 the ingenious thing about that smaller door is that when you walked in, tried to break into someone's house, and you went in this way, you're sticking your neck out first, and they'd be standing there and just whack your head off. Boom. Amen. That's a good burglar alarm system right there. That's this. And so you couldn't walk in the small door like this, kind of like, you know, keep on trucking. You know what I mean? All right, you baby boomers know what that's all about. You couldn't walk in that way. You had to kind of go in like this, exposing your neck, and they would, they would cut your head off. And so the eye of the needle was not the huge door that the camels would open up for the camels, but that inner door that a camel could get through, but it would be very difficult for the camel to get through that inner door. That's the eye of the needle. Jesus said it's not impossible, but it's difficult for the rich because they're trusting in their riches rather than humbling themselves. They think they can have access through their money 
And God is not a respecter of persons. Money can't buy you love, and it cannot buy you access into heaven. Pastor Al will be back in a moment with the conclusion of today's message in James chapter 4. On behalf of Pastor Al, I would like to ask you to consider becoming a financial partner with us. Your consistent financial support enables us to keep this radio ministry moving forward. To make a one-time donation or to become a monthly supporter, just go to cwccs.org or text the word GIVE to 719-354-2778. And on behalf of Pastor Al, thanks for your support, both through donation and through prayer. Now with the conclusion of today's message, titled Entourage of Arrogance, here's our teacher, Pastor Al Pittman. Mark chapter 8, Jesus said it well. He said, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for a soul? The answer is nothing. Nothing. There's an urgency that I find here also in the writing of James here. As he rebukes those who are trusting in their worldly possessions, their riches for their provision, And yet, in verses 7 and 8, he comforts the church, reminding them that the Lord is their source and their provision. The Bible says, though my flesh and my heart may fail, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Because these believers at that time were probably like, where is God in all this? Man, why am I not getting paid what I need to get paid? And, and the rich are abusing us and the dragons in the court and doing Where is God in all that? And sometimes we look at the world today and we go, where is God in all this? And James reminds them of the hope that we have as believers that the Lord is coming soon. And I think many times we as believers, we lose sight of that very fact and we start living our lives apart from trusting in God as if the Lord is not coming. We're like that evil servant Jesus talked about whom the master left in charge of the other servants and he said, my master delays his coming and he began to beat and to abuse the other servants. And that's why we see the gossip and the slander and the abuse in the church today because there are those in the church and some even in leadership who are saying the master delays his coming so I'm just going to act the way I want to act apart from God, not trusting in God, but I'm going to act in arrogance and sinfulness toward my fellow brother and sister in Christ. That's why people are doing it. They believe in their heart. The Lord delays his coming. And yet the Lord reminds us that he will come at a time we think not. In the time of the New Testament in the first century church, they really believed that the Lord was coming in their lifetime. And you hear that in the words of James here in verses 7 and 8. He says to them, in in light of economic inequity, in light of social injustice, he says, therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See now how the farmer, rather, waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Wow. Now we might say, well, well, the Lord didn't come. Yeah, but ever since the time Jesus rose, since he rose from the dead, we've been living in the last days. And one day to the Lord is as a thousand years to us. And the Lord might just be saying, I'm going to wait about two and a half days. A little bit over two days. Who knows? 
And it's been over, it's been two, over 2,000 years since his birth, the birth of Christ. Who knows? We live at a time right now, according to biblical prophecy, there is no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled before the soon return of Jesus Christ. The stage has already been set. He could come literally at any moment. And I remember as a young Christian how that motivated us as believers. Sometimes to do stupid stuff. <laughs> but there was an urgency in our heart with sharing the gospel and with reaching the world for Christ. And today, now, it's more of a kind of an apathy, kickback kind of attitude. Like, ah, let the younger generation do it. Younger generation saying, ah, let the old people do it. And there's not an urgency in our heart that the Lord is coming soon. This is why we must preach the gospel. This is why we must share the gospel with every creature. This is why we're going to the east side and we'll go to the southeast side. We'll go to Woodland Park. We'll go up north wherever God wants to spread this ministry so that the gospel, the word of God can go forth. Because the hour is late. We must be about our father's business. And yet many just kick back and say, oh, my master delays is coming. And James says, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about it. And some of us are going through difficult things. And we, you know, I'm not saying you should just lay down for folks. If you've got rights, stand up for your rights. Whatever you got to do. But there's some things, you know, the real only remedy is patience. He tells them to be patient. That word patient means Having a long spirit or being long-tempered, long-tempered, not short-tempered, but long-tempered, amen? Some of us need to pray that, Lord, help me to have a long temper, not a short temper. And then he says, establish your heart. What does it mean to establish your heart? It means to set fast like super glue. Kind of reminds me the other day I broke one of my wife's little figurine things, you know. Praise God for super glue, amen? It sets fast. To set fast. In other words, there's no vacillation. There's no, you know what, vacillating in, in our decision. We're, man, I'm setting my eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. It means to turn resolutely in a certain direction. Is your heart set fast on him today? Are you patiently waiting upon the Lord? Because he could come at any moment. Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 24 and 25 Jeremiah, the prophet, says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Amen. Arrogance wants to go it alone. Arrogance walks in the wisdom of the world in chapter 3 of James, verse 15, which is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Arrogance wants to live life apart from the Lord. But God designed us not to live apart from him. Faith places one's expectations solely in the Lord as our provider, as our Jehovah Jireh, as our only provision. Trusting completely and totally in him, his provision. In conclusion, trusting in God's judgment, trusting in his sovereignty, Trusting in his provision is the opposite of arrogance. And if we're not doing that as Christians, we're walking, really, we're walking in arrogance, which needs to be repented of. Hannah, the mother of Samuel the prophet, prayed this. First Samuel 
chapter 2, verse 3. She said, talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. Lord, before you are my actions weighed. Let me not boast of myself, but as Paul said, my boast is in the Lord. Amen. Be careful what we say. What is trusting in the Lord? What does it look like? Well, here's an illustration that might help you. I was reading where this illustration was talking about the, the difference between trusting in the sovereignty of God, trusting in his authority, living life according to, to his power and his great love and his grace, opposed to living life on our own, living according to the whims, if you will, of our flesh or worldly opinion. Illustration goes like this. It says, in the frigid waters around Greenland are countless icebergs, some little and some gigantic. If you'd observe them carefully, you'd notice that sometimes the small ice flows move in one direction while their massive counterparts flow in another. The explanation is simple. Surface winds drive the little ones, whereas the huge mass of, masses of ice are carried along by deep ocean currents. When we face trials and tragedies, it's helpful to see our lives as being subject to two forces, surface winds or ocean currents. The winds represent everything changeable, unpredictable, and distressing. But operating simultaneously with these gusts and these gales is another force that's even more powerful. It is the sure movement of God's wise and sovereign purposes, the deep flow of his unchanging love. Amen. God never meant for us to do this alone, but to trust in the deep flow of his unchanging love. No matter what winds are blowing on the surface, let our lives not be governed by that, but governed by true resolve and faith in a sovereign God who loves us. Arrogance relies upon the changing winds of human opinion. Faith rests in the unchanging eternal current of God's love. May God help us to trust in the deep undertow of his love for us rather than the changing winds that we see happening in our society each and every day. For God indeed is faithful, even when we're faithless, where he cannot deny himself. This has been The Dwelling Place with pastor and author Al Pittman and a message from Al's series through the book of Acts. If you'd like to hear this message again, you can listen, watch, or download with a simple click. Just go to cwccs.org and click the Messages tab at the top of the page. And while you're checking out our website, be sure to download the Calvary Worship Center app for your device and take Pastor Al wherever you go. The Dwelling Place is also available at oneplace.com. And I would also like to ask you to take a few moments today to send Pastor Al an email and let him know that you enjoy the dwelling place on this station. That would be a great encouragement to Pastor Al and all of us here at the dwelling place. You can also share a prayer request with us, and we'll count it a privilege to pray for you. Just send an email to amen at cwccs.org. Let me also remind you in closing that the dwelling place is a listener-supported outreach. We count on your support to keep this radio ministry going and growing. 
If you'd like to join our support team with a one-time gift or on a regular monthly basis, you can do so at our website, cwccs.org, or by texting the word GIVE to 719-354-2778. If you live in the Colorado Springs area and are looking for a church home, or you'll be visiting the area in the future, we invite you to come join us for worship here at Calvary Worship Center. You'll find directions and more information at cwccs.org. And no matter where you are, you can watch our services via live streaming right there at our website. Have a wonderful day in the Lord and join us for another study in Acts next time on The Dwelling Place with Pastor Al Pittman. Presented by Calvary Worship Center in Colorado Springs, Colorado.